From the bayous in Louisiana to the Camber country up north, you'll find them out on the trap line chasing furs to put up on the border. Mixing up another batch of that magical stuff, chilling around the fire after the show. Hey, it's Sarah and Jeff, and maybe a guest on the trapping radio. Well, welcome to Trapping Radio. Um, this is Jeff Dunlap, hosting this week. And uh, we got a real great guest, uh, Leon from Top Lot Stretchers. He's part of the LKL experience, and he agreed to do it. Um, wanted to thank our sponsors, uh, F&T, Freedom Outdoors. They're gonna be having an open house in September. Uh, you can find all the information on their website at uh, fntpost.com, um, and it'll be all over Facebook and stuff. And uh, also uh, Hilltop Outdoors, uh, Alan, he has all the. In you know, ten minutes, we're going to start the skillet toss near the horse arena. We're uh, at the uh, Minnesota Trap Trapping Convention, so that was Brian Fisher, the president. He wanted to make sure he got involved. <laughs> he, he's upset because he only got to do the one interview. Um, but uh, yeah, check out uh, Hilltop Outdoors. Uh, Alan's a real good guy. So, um, Leon, uh, or as Jeff Haggerty calls you, Lionel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's always got to do something. That's all right. I call him Hogger. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you've been doing this for a long time. Um, you know, for as long as I've been going to conventions, I remember you being there. And, uh, you know, how. Like when you started off trapping, you know, because nobody just starts in and starts going to conventions and doing it for the business part of it. But uh, how did you get started in, you know, the whole thing of trapping? So just for starting in on trapping, I was just like pretty much everybody else. Um, started off with muskrats back when I was like in seventh, eighth grade. There was some friends of mine that were doing some trapping. No one in my family was ever involved with it, so just um, hanging out with those guys and hearing about it, I thought I'd give it a try. Um, on my family's farm, we're only like a quarter mile away from a, a good size um, river, creek, if you will, and just started with that, um, going out, trying to catch muskrats, and um, slowly kind of graduating up to, you know, getting lucky, getting a mink here or there, and then over time started turning into catching coons so that's pretty much how the trapping part of my life kind of started so did you have somebody that got you into it you know or did you just kind of soft self-taught um for the most part it was self-taught it's kind of funny when i first started out i had really no idea how to make a, a muskrat set so actually another trapper actually seen my sets out there and he basically waited around one day and found out who this person is who didn't know what the heck he was doing is trying to trap and um he took the time for me and um showed me just some simple basic sets for rats and it only took like about two days after that to catch my first muskrat mm. so so i had a little bit of guidance there and 
for basically doing any real trapping came later in life for me. Um, so I basically trapped through high school. And then right after high school, basically went to school to learn how to become a carpenter. So you're away from home, away from your trap lines. So you're shut down for a while there. And a little bit later on after that, um, got back into doing some trapping again. The itch came and, and then it basically ended up being uh, my wife's brother-in-law. He did some trapping too. So he basically taught me basic pocket hole sets for catching coon and it just started evolving from there once i got turned on to catching one two five ten coon mm -hmm. you know it was like game on yeah know? they um like because uh, uh you probably went through like we're young during the last fur boom like i was you know was you know young and didn't take full advantage like we would now you right. know i say the last fur boom there's been multiple but you know like the 80 when it crashed in 87, you probably just was like on the tail end of... Right, right. I was in on it just before that. It was um, actually like less than five years before the crash. So, you know, there you are, just a young kid, you know, and all of a sudden you catch muskrats and you'd put them up. And all of a sudden there you are, you're getting three to five bucks for a muskrat, mm -hmm. you know. You know, that doesn't mean a whole lot right now. That doesn't even buy you a gallon of gas now. But back then, you know, that, that was like something. So, yeah. Um, so I actually trapped basically right up to almost when the crash happened because at that point, that's when I was going off to school to become a carpenter. So, mm. so it kind of worked out yeah. when I was out of it. That's when some of the lows of the low was yeah. going on. Yeah, you're one of the few that it actually worked out for. <laughs> right, right, yep, yep. Yeah. But they, because um, I, I think a lot of times because you know we'll get into it, but uh, well I'll just ask you how did, like how did you go. Like a lot of the people that come here, they're always doing like catch demos and stuff, where you're putting doing more the, you know, putting up fur and stuff. And I gotta say, you do the best job of anybody. I, of you're, you like, uh, if anybody sits through your demo on putting up fur and doesn't learn something, they really didn't want to learn anything. I mean, I've been doing this my whole life, and I mean, the job that you do on putting up fur is like second to none, you know, and. Uh, I've heard about like your guys' school that you know it, it's worth coming there to learn how to put up fur from you. Just if 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 you didn't learn anything else, it's you know worth co coming for that. So, but how did you just decide uh, you know to do the boards, um, you know, and you know and start going into putting up the fur and all that, getting stuff. into manufacturing, yeah, and the stuff. manufacturing and all that. So so for me, what really got it started was course I was trapping and going to conventions um, just the Minnesota convention really and after going there for a while then you pretty soon you start going to district meetings and start to learn some people and really how it got going was they had confidence in me and liked how I did things so they um, basically nominated me to be on the board so I started out as a co-director and when you're on the board they've got two big meetings a year you've got of course at the convention and then in minnesota we got what's called the winter meeting which is like the first or second weekend in january so it was like mandatory now i had to go to a winter meeting and i had never been there before so i've always read about all the events and stuff that goes on there and one of them is a pelt handling contest and you would see these names in there of these guys that were you know winning first place on a bunch of species and and then in that competition 
whoever um, gets the most points, it's a point system, you know, first place gets this, second gets that. So whoever gets the most points, you get called, you get the title and the plaque that says you're the master fur handler of whatever that year is. But anyhow, you, you always seen all that stuff. And when I was going to go up there, I had lots of people compliment me on how my coon look. I guess that was my main thing. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a coon pelt up there just to see how do I stack up against these guys. So here it is about a week before we got to go up there to the first winter meeting. And so I'm digging through a couple hundred coon I got laying there trying to figure out which I think is my best looking coon. And and then Denise says, well, why don't you take one of your mink along? So there I go. I dig through my stack of mink, grab a mink, and grab a couple other things. And now it's about a day before it's time to go up there. And I go back out to my shed, and I take it all out of a bag and shove it back in my piles. I was too too afraid to try to compete, so to speak. And and then I come back in, and Denise says, well, where are your pelts to take tomorrow? And I says, well, I put them back in. And she says, just try it. Mm-hmm. So I did. I ended up taking, uh, I think it was six different species up there. Anyhow, we get up there and go to the competition, and I get my pelts in there. And then at the meeting, that's when they announce who the overall winner is. So I'm sitting up front because I'm on the board there. So I'm sitting up front, and they start talking. And pretty soon they go, well, we've got a first here. we got a first-time competitor who has never competed before, and he's our brand-new Master Fur Handler of the Year. And it really took me back. And the big reason why was I brought six species, but in Minnesota at that time you could harvest 16 different animals. So you could have 16 pelts in the competition to accumulate the most points for the overall. And here's this new guy shows up with just six, and I ended up winning it. So it went really good. Of the six pelts, they told me they all got first place except one. So you Mm. felt really good about that. So so that kind of got to be the start of how people knew Leon knows how to put his stuff up. Mm -hmm. Um, So then, of course, once you win the title, you got to try and defend it the next year. (laughs) So so the next year I tried catching a couple more different animals. So I, that, that year I ended up with seven animals. Because you, you upped everybody else's game at that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, game on. We're going to take this guy who's you know, never been here before. You know, the competition, they all knew who each other were yeah. and who's this guy, yeah. you know. So the following year I brought seven pelts up there, and the same thing happened. Um, six of them took first place, one took second, and... Um, so by the time the second year comes around, it, it's not like, man, I won this. I can't believe it. Year number two, it was like you couldn't wait to get back to the competition to figure out which damn pelt didn't get yeah, first. Yeah, you know? yeah. In this case, it ended up being a, a mink. I, I got second mm. on that. So, so that kind of got to be the start of people knowing how I do my fur. But then on that second year, somebody grabbed my coon and he like just charges right up to me. He goes, how in the world do you get your coon to look like this? They're so clean and they look so perfect. What do you use for stretchers? And I says, well, I make my own stretchers. Well, what kind of stretchers are they? And they look so different. I says, I didn't think they looked different, but um, I use an adjustable stretcher on my coon. Because um, for me, I didn't have... Um, uh, a wood supply, let's say, to get the nice wide boards mm-hmm. for solid boards. So I just made an adjustable coon. And the guy says, man, they look so good. I got to have a dozen of those boards. Can you make me a dozen? 
I go, well, and his buddy's standing right on his shoulder. He goes, yeah, you got to make me a dozen, too. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Bring them to the convention next year. So you're, you're sitting there thinking, this is really the last thing I want to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> no, I, I was just that. having fun in yeah. this competition. Now <laughs> these guys want some stretchers. So now they're making work out of it. <laughs> yep, yep. So, so I made um, a couple dozen for those guys, and um, I thought, yeah, maybe I could sell these things. So I made like two or three dozen more, uh, went up to the convention. Those guys got their boards. Um, at that time, it was just a Friday-Saturday show, and, of course, by 9 o'clock Friday, all my coon boards were gone. Huh. So that kind of led into the next year was bring more coon boards, and, like, you know, fox ain't too far different. Let's bring some fox boards. Mm-hmm. Same thing. They're gone right away. And mm-hmm. Pretty soon the guys are like, hey, Leon, I need an otter board. Hey, Leon, I want a cat stretcher, you know. So that's kind of how it evolved. You know, just something so small got yeah. me turned on to it. So you would have to say that Denise is the reason there's even a top wise stretcher company. Well, you can say it, but I don't have to, do I? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. <laughs> Sometimes you just need some good encouragement. You know, that's just it, you know. It really went from <clears throat> it went from being nervous to even compete into something and it just rolled into something else. It's just funny how in life how you just do like one thing and it turns into this reaction and that yeah. reaction and it just um takes off. Yeah. That, that, I know how that works because that's why we've got 16 booths sitting in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or 16 tables. Right. And everything just keeps snowballing. Right, right. Yeah. So. No, that's, that's awesome that, uh, you know, that, that, you know, happened. And I, I, that happens a lot, I think, with a lot of people in, in this, in, in all businesses, really. You know, but um, I, because uh, I think that, but one thing I think is lost with you, though, it's like you are the fur putter upper. But I mean, it's like you know, you you're a great trapper. I mean, you catch a lot of fur and stuff. But I mean, you don't you know, like push that part of yourself out there. That you, I mean, you're not just a guy that puts up fur. I mean, you actually go out and you're a tra- real trapper and catch a lot of fur and capable of catching a lot of fur. Right, right, and and for me, I mean. I was really not a numbers guy. It was just really more of how to be an efficient trapper. Um, I guess probably the story of my life really is me and Denise, Denise is my wife, um, head CEO of Top Lot Stretcher <laughs> Company. Um, and that's not no joke, but <laughs> but um, we started off young in life, um, just coming out of school, um, being married, um, young daughter, and you know, trapping went to the back burner. It was just basically, you got your head down, you're doing everything you can to afford diapers and, and formula and just, you know, paying your bills, you know. So it kind of makes you a stronger person when you got to start from nothing and, 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 and uh, build your family like that. So so basically when I was able to finally get back to doing trapping, it was about a five years off kind of type thing. But when I got back to doing trapping, it wasn't, hey, I'm taking a week off of work. There, there was no such thing. It was my trapping's going to be what I can do on the weekends and check before and after work. So so for me, um, I'm really just a water guy at heart. And it was really, you had to make your system efficient. You don't have time to mess around. 
Um, people used to joke around and always kept calling me a long liner and I'm like, I'm just a dude checking my stuff mm-hmm. before work and after work and skinning at night. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a long liners do it all day long. But as time goes on, I kind of figured out in a way I was, I was just doing it in short spurts. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, you know, like a long liner, everything's efficient. Your equipment's all the same. Mm-hmm. Your sets are the same. You just hammer, hammer, mm-hmm. hammer. So, um, so it was really chasing coon a lot. And, um, you know, it gets to be kind of a funny thing. You're out there catching coon after coon. You can have a double, you can have a triple on coon, but then that next spot, you got a mink sitting there. You remember that, you know, seeing that tail bobbing in the water and the whites, you know, of the pads, you know, hind legs, you know, floating there in the water. It, um, you remember that more than the triples you get on yeah. on coon, you know. Yeah. So just something something special that happens, you know. Yeah. That's how I am with mink. I I got we'll be driving down the road and you know, Sarah being from Iowa, she doesn't know, you know, like where I used to trap mink. Cause we don't trap mink much anymore, you know. And I say, yeah, I, used to, I caught mink over there, and you know, this creek over here, this happened, you know. And that's what I. It's always the mink, you know. I always go back to the mink, the mink, the mm-hmm. mink, you know. But because I was raised, you know, around them guys that uh, they were World War II veterans, and it was still the the mink were king, you mm-hmm. know. And those guys were still around when you were coming up. That, that's probably the you know what the guy's mentality was that showed you stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But they uh, and then uh, like you guys, you guys have the LKL, um, you know, and uh, how did you know how did you guys how did you get involved with uh, Lee and uh, Kendall and Kendall? you know to get that all set up because you guys have a lot of people go through that school and i always hear you know great things you know about your edge of school and you know so that really started coming about really from uh kendall obermeyer he uh he kind of had like a vision a little bit of wanting to like pass some of some of the knowledge that you have you know you know you're out there on the trap line you're out there working hard and at some time you kind of get to that top level, so to speak, and you're like, well, what more can I do? Well, then you start thinking about how can you maybe pass it on to other people. So so his thing was was trying to get a school put together where, where you just really limited the amount of students that you have, but we're going to give you something that's more, more complete. And by complete, we're talking fur handling, we're talking water trapping and land trapping, and, and I got to know Kendall again from being at the conventions and stuff like that, and you know, like you had said before, people just notice what my put up looks like. Mm-hmm. And anyhow, talking with him, he's like, you know what, you would be a good fit for this idea if, if you did the fur handling side, and I do the water side, and maybe start doing something on the coyote side, and and then to kind of finish it off, um, same thing on the convention circuit, if you will started to meet Lisa and had some of them same thoughts we did about, you know, want to do education for people. So that's kind of how it sort of started up. And so like for the location, it's like, okay, what are we going to do for a location now? And Lisa says, I got the perfect spot. Um, there's this outfitter I trapped for down in Kansas and he's got this great lodge for for all, all his hunters come to and it says, I bet you when his season's over, we could have the school there and Leon can do the skinning stuff right here on site, and then I know the lay of the land because I trap down mm-hmm. here. So it turned out to be 
a fantastic spot. Um, it's a Pike Pipe Creek Outfitters is the name of the Todd's place down there, and it is it's it's a first rate place. Um, the whole the whole place it almost felt like it was set up for us. It, mm-hmm. it just works great for us there. Hmm. They uh, like I don't like when you guys have it. You guys have what a fall class or just a spring class? It's just one time a year. It's it's just in the spring. Um, we used to have it in March. Now we have it in May because for Liesel and Kendall being down south doing a lot of predation work, you know how it is. Once yeah. you're good at something, word gets out, you get more and more. They needed more time to uh, mm-hmm. to be down there trapping. So it's one time a year. We have it in May. And what we like to do is we just limit a class size to 12. Um, I know it sounds small, but that's exactly how we want it. Yeah. Um, so when we have three instructors, we take the 12, study them up a little bit on experience level and break them into three groups. And um, I mean, our daily routine is just to keep it simple. I'll say Leon today is just teaching coon. So I get the first uh, group of guys, I do a coon. I get the second group of guys, I do a coon. And same with the third. And uh, um, Kendall and Lisa will do the same with what they're doing. So when the day is over, we get done eating supper at night, all of us are talking about the same experience that day, not mm-hmm. like, hey, what am, I, what am I getting tomorrow? What am I missing? You know, yeah. it's like everybody's talking about the same thing. Everybody's mm-hmm. an equal type of deal. So uh, That's a great idea. Because, uh, uh, you know, I, I've been where, you know, it's like you take half the class to do one thing and half the class to do another thing. And, you know, there's a, a almost like a, I won't say, I don't know, side, taking uh, different sides, you know, because uh, it's almost like you've got two different teams now, you know, but uh, well, that wouldn't happen the way you guys do it. Right, and you kind of bring up a good point. Um, you know, we've had students that come to the school and they signed up and says, like, Kendall, I want to learn about water trap and how you do your mink. I don't care less about the fur handling. Mm-hmm. Well, before the first day is over, those guys are like, wow, you know, yeah. they pay attention by day two. It's yeah. like, I should have paid more attention the first day. I'm like, you're the one paying the bill. You pay yeah. attention when you yeah. want type yeah. thing. But yeah. so they're not as good as at it as what they thought they were. Right. But but the point I'm trying to make is if you don't keep everybody on the same level, you'll get somebody like, I wanted to be with Kendall today, but I was with Leon. So then they kind of like half pout. Yeah. But here they get the whole mix of yeah. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh... No, I, uh, like I say, I've heard great things about your guys' school. And, you know, I got a lot of respect for you and Kendall and Lee. And, you know, I mean, you know, if somebody goes out there, they're definitely going to, if they, if they leave and they didn't learn anything, I mean, they, they, they didn't want to. You know, I mean, you know, and, you know, the thing is, is it's like when you're describing when you guys got into selling the uh, boards and your business with Top Lot, and then you guys started, you and Kendall and Lee talking about doing this pool. Um, you, you didn't do, not that you didn't want to make money, but you didn't do any of it just thinking about, you know, that we're going to make money doing this. And I think a lot of times when people get, like, any lures I come up with, I never thought, you know what, I'm going to make this amount of money on this. I just did it because I wanted to, and, and I think that seems to be the way you guys are with your stuff, is that we're just doing it because we want want to do it, and we right. want to see, we have an idea, and, you know, it's cool to see 
other people pick up on what our thought was on it and our idea and what we came up with and and they love it you know and it's like our black widow stands when somebody comes up and buy one i'm so happy because you know we come up with something and they see the value of what what we did you know right and it makes you feel good because yep. now you know they're gonna do better yeah. and yeah. it ain't that you don't want to make no money i mean it costs a lot of money to come to these things but right that's not the that was never the driving force you know right and I, I respect you guys i mean that's i i know all you guys personally and i, I mean i don't it doesn't seem like that's how it is with you guys either so right and um just to kind of touch on that point um after the three days at the school when it's over um for us it actually gets a little bit nervous because we kind of do round tables at the end of the day and then on the last day when we do our little round table discussion it's basically we're done assessing the students we we turn tables we let them assess us mm. you tell us what's going on you did what did we not get you what did you not like or what did you like and yeah, that'd, yep. be a, that'd be a tough one to say, hey, uh, you, you guys, uh, 12 guys, mind uh, and women, uh, mind critiquing yep. me? Yeah, <laughs> and, and it does. It gets kind of funny because um, so for like Liesl and for Kendall, when they get the students, um, we don't actually run a trap line because for us teaching, it's like a waste of time. We want to spend our time educating, but they have the students make sets, and sometimes when they're making their sets, their traps ain't bedded very good, and by the second time they're not bedded very good, um, those guys can uh, get kind of aggressive at them, and, and the viewpoint is, is you know, letting them know, hey, you're screwing up, you're screwing up. You know, you're trying to get it instilled yeah. into their head. You know, you don't want to handle them with kit gloves, so yeah. you got to have a little thick skin sometimes. But anyhow, they get a little aggressive on them making their set, so... So for those guys, it gets really nervous because yeah. it's like, what are they going to do to me now, you know, for what I did to them? But um, almost every single year, the comments the comments that we get for feedback is, when we came to the school, you guys are three different businesses. We thought you guys were just going to be hammering on us. The products you use, you guys were just going to push product on us. And they said, all three of you... All three days have never once said you have to use my this. Or you don't. Have, you got to use my that. You guys never ever did that. And again, you're bringing a good point up. Our thing is, we wanted to educate, not a sales pitch. You know, that's how me and Clint were when we had our school. Um, people said that people told them, "Well, you go there and they're just going to be pushing their products." And we're like, "No." I mean, I don't have to mention them. You know what products I have. You want to use them fine. Mm -hmm. It's like same way during like the demos and stuff. I mean, I, I don't mean, you know. I mean, people don't want to sit there and have a sales pitch, you know? right? And especially if they come and pay a lot of money to learn how to trap, they they don't want a sales pitch. I mean, yeah. they, if they're there, they know what you have, anyways. You know. Yeah, I mean, especially at conventions, you know, you really got almost like two, I don't want to call it classes, but you got two different types of trappers. You got guys there that are very new and everything is new to them. Mm -hmm. But a vast majority of the trappers that are coming to watch your demo is they're looking for that one thing or that one edge that'll make them better or mm -hmm. on my end, what technique can help me out in my yeah. first shed type yeah. thing. And, you know... You get done with your demo and you get these experienced guys walk up to you, you know, you know, I didn't think you were going to teach me a damn thing today, but there's like a couple things that you taught me mm -hmm. I never thought of. Yeah. And I seen you do it and it's like the light bulb goes off. Yeah. It's like, I, I can't wait to get home and try it, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I watch your demos, like in Illinois, 
convention I had time to watch and you know but uh, different times and I always every time I watched your demos I always learned something about fur put up you know like I said I've been doing it my whole life but I never was you know I, I mean I would I was good enough to get it to NAFA or you know or the fur buyer or get it tanned but you know I mean you're like you know the next level up on doing that. I mean, that's you, you know. I mean, you're just a really good teacher at doing it. And, I mean, that's probably why your business is so successful. You know, that's why you're selling boards and all that stuff, and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of a in one way, it's a tough thing, and and you know it as being a, a supply dealer. Um, so you got your trap supply dealers, and then for here, top lot, we're like a specialized only on one thing and it's really on the pelt handling side mm-hmm. so you kind of got yourself even in a smaller market so yep. to speak yep. um you know when we first started and and we want to get a name put together not just have it's leon's boards you know getting a name put together but when we started out I, she's like well don't all trappers put up their fur and i'm and i started thinking i'm like yeah they kind of do I bet you seventy percent of the of the trappers out there put their fur up, and that's what was in my mind when we first started. And it didn't take me long to realize, like, no, seventy percent don't put up their mm-hmm. fur. I, I mean, I was again, you're like taken back. You think you have it figured out, mm-hmm. but you don't. No, it was actually the other way. It was like most people don't put it up. They're mm-hmm. actually looking for it, you know. Mm-hmm. So that, that was an eye opener. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I think it, it used to be probably higher, you know, in the, in the old days, but, uh, you know, the guys would put it up, you know, because they, a lot of them had to. But, you know, the, the good thing is, is with, like, your guys' boards and stuff, because it used to be wire stretchers, you know, like back in right. the, the 80s and stuff. It was, I mean, some guys used boards, but, like, we bought for, for Hudson Bay, and, you know, we had... Oh, so many wire stretchers i mean it was unbelievable and uh but now it's more of a beauty contest when you sell your fur so i i think that i mean it's like gromwall was telling people you know well you don't have to do them on wood uh you don't have like muskrat the thing is when you show up at a fur sale or you show up at a fur buyer and your stuff is stretched on wood and it is pin perfect and as good as anybody out there like you win in them contests I mean, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't get any better. You're going to get the most out of that fur that you can get. If you put it on, that not not some guy that is really good at putting it on. You know, has five coon and puts them on wire, and they look really good. But the average person that is not the greatest fur putter upper is going to do a way better job on boards than what they're ever going to do on wire. Right. You know. So obviously, I'm a little bit biased because I sell boards, but. Um, but you bring up a good point. You know, wire's been around for a long time. You know, even like right now, we sell rat boards, and people ask, Leon, what do you put your rats on? Right now, I put them on wire. You know, the market is so low on it right now, the wood-to-wire ratio, there's really nothing there, mm-hmm. you know. But when the mar- um, muskrat market was strong, you had to treat them just like coon. You had to have your lines marked on the boards because the jump from a large to an extra large was a buck and a half, mm-hmm. you know. So, again, if the market turns around and rats start getting up to five, even up push maybe six dollars, 
to me, you should be putting them on wood then because now you're going to get that 50 cents to 75 cents break from one size to another. Now it's worth your time to do it. Because when they put them on that measuring board, if one of them sides is up that quarter inch, yep. you're, it's getting thrown in the down pile. Yep, they're going to always catch that um, highest point, and that's yep. what they're going to measure yep. too. Because, I mean, you know, uh, the, the, whoever's going to grade theirs or if they're going to send them overseas, they're going to get downgraded. And if they don't, they've made the 75 cents, you know. I mean, right. that's just fur buying. You know? right. I mean, right. You're trying to get a person to sell their fur at the cheapest price that you can without having them feel like they've been ripped off most of the time. <laughs> you know? Sure. I mean, that, that's just business. Sure. Yep. Know? Yep. You know, a lot of people said, uh, you know, I dealt with a crooked fur buyer, and I'm like, he ripped me off. You agreed to sell. I yep. mean, he might not have gave you a good price, but you still agreed to sell. Right, right. But yep. I mean, I mean, in the end, when you're working on your fur like that, you know, to a lot of people, especially to me, it's a pride thing. You know, maybe too much pride goes into it, but it's just the way I am. But whether you want to be to the level of what my stuff looks like, it doesn't have to be to that. But what you need it to be is you got to think about when you're going to a fur buyer, he's the one with the checkbook. So think about it. You're taking them something. To me, you're presenting. What does your presentation look like? Mm -hmm. Does it look like there's value there, or does it look like a pile of crap? Well, guess what the guy with the checkbook's going to do? It's pretty easy to think about it, but people don't think about it that way. Yeah, it just depends on how many zeros you like on your on your on check. check. You yeah, <laughs> that's what it amount in the end. That's what it's all about. You know? Right, right. They, um, but because uh, like going to all these conventions and stuff, um, you still work a full time job, right? Yep, yep. So, um, so I mean, like the rest of us are just out doing this. I mean, you got to like Monday go back to a job, you know where. You know, we're going, you know, planning on getting stuff around for a convention, you know, so. Right, so I'm still the silly one banging my head against the wall <laughs> trying to do two jobs at the same time. Yep. So that'd be tough. Um, it gets to be um, pretty soon something's going to have to change here. I'm getting, not that I'm old by any means, but my body's telling me that I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just used to working seven days a week, and at some point you just start to physically break down. Um, I guess for everybody who doesn't know, I, I build houses, and you know you don't do that by sitting behind a desk pushing computer keys. You know you, you got to be on the move. If your hands ain't moving, you're not making money. So basically, I go to work. I'm doing work, and when I come home every single night, it's basically check in with Denise, see what's going on with top lot, what orders are coming in. If she needs a hand with something, if she doesn't, out to the shop I go, and I'm out there depending on the day it's usually two three hours before you come back in so it's mm-hmm. it's full day every day mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that'd, that'd be tough you know going out and then have to come back and do you know make boards and you know right. get ready for the next show yeah you know, I, I i do not envy you on that well in one way um that's where denise really helps out a lot and pays off quite a bit is um you know, we do make quite a few adjustable stretchers, and I can guarantee you down there every single one of those adjustables, she's got her hands in on them. She does a lot of the assembly on it. If you ever find a top lot stretcher, you're going to see that our uh, logo or our name burned into it. I can tell you she's the one burning them in on every mm-hmm. single board. So 
you know, I might be at work, but top lot's not stopping, you know, and, um, you know, you pick up the phone, she's on the phone answering it, and, you know, she gets this comment all the time of, um, uh, you actually answered the phone? You know, (laughs) I mean, so many businesses nowadays just forgets that um, there's a customer out there. And and for us, if that phone rings, she's going to answer it unless, of course, she's in the shop Mm -hmm. and can't get to it quick enough. But, um, you know, after hours, you know, she's answering the phone. You know, it's it's not just a business. It's it's our life. You know, uh, she's definitely a worker. I mean, you see her over there always doing something in your guys' booth and. Yeah, I always, I always get the grief that she's the one who sets up the whole convention. I'm off yakking with everybody because you, know, you can't I, I get, get away. Sa- I get the same grief. Do you? Yeah. Oh, I'm not alone, man. <laughs> no. no, but ge- generally with me, though, they're right. She does set up most of the booths. <laughs> well, maybe for both of us, maybe that's why our booths look I, good. But you know? I've, seen her, I've seen her set up Kendall's whole booth, too, because he was yakking. So. Oh, that does happen. That does happen. Some Sometimes it's kind of hot out, and the beer might start opening up prematurely, and... Uh, yeah, yeah, all of a sudden Kendall's hollering, I need a professional to set up my T-shirts, you know. I don't know how to do it. Yeah. I can't fold yeah, these. Kurt's not here. Yeah, Kurt's not here, exactly. <laughs> yeah, do you, uh, your new invention is pretty cool. You want to talk about that? Oh, yep, yep, the, uh, just... It, 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 even Haggerty went, uh, Haggerty bought one, right? Yeah, Hogger's and, getting one, yeah. Yep, and uh, he, uh, you know... I mean, he doesn't go to just buy stuff. I mean, that's how cool it is, that, you know, what, what he's came up with. So I'll, I'll let you tell exactly what it is so I don't mess it up. Okay, so so Top Lot's just coming out this year now with, um, we call it the Airboss Pro Series. And what it is is it's an air system to dry your bobcats, your coyotes, and your fox. And it's got air boards, and the whole design of it is meant to, you put your pelt on, you pin it, you're done. It's a one-time pinup. You don't have to flip your pelts. It's a time saver. It's just, it's just the way to go. You know, the the system itself um, is really based off of stuff that came out of the ranch trade. At one time in my life, I did work on a mink ranch, and they had some fox as well, and um, worked with putting up fur with them, and got to see how their system works. And what it got to be was try to come up with a simple system that's not oversized for you know mass production like uh, the ranch industry is, but have something small enough for the trapper. And it's basically a system that's set up for putting uh, six boards on it at a time. Um, it's got a fan on it that's really pushing the air through a tube system and pushing it through the mouth of the animal down into the board. And there's channels. Um, it's kind of hard to explain. You guys are going to have to stop at the conventions and, and see it. Um, the boards have channels in it for that air to flow through. So you just take that pelt from the beam, put it on the stretcher, pin it up, hang it on the system, come back three days later, and it's ready for sale. Mm. Yeah, because that, that's one thing is, uh, you know, I, I know Haggerty bought it. He hates flipping, flipping. flipping them coyotes up. You know, and especially like fox and cats, I hate because I always end up, you know, tearing one or get a little bit right. tired, and I, you know, but uh, or wait a little bit too long to flip them, and uh, you know, so that I mean that's pretty awesome. But when when I seen that right away, I mean, you know, I, I you knew saw it, the I, benefit. Right? I saw the benefit right away. Yeah, and that was one of the thing I get from my customers quite a bit, or they come and watch my demo, say like on coyote, like. You know, I catch a lot of coyotes. I want to put them up, but I, I just ain't got the time to wait and babysit on the flip, you know. Yeah. Guys come in at night and they want to put their fur up. Well, you put your fur up, 
well now they got to get up in the middle of the night to flip it mm-hmm. so so this is not a system to take that disadvantage away for some of them guys now it's a yep. pin and done situation yep. here and it's a good looking system yeah, I mean, it's even got red lettering on there. I mean, oh, look, looks oh like yes, a, it's got to be professional. Yeah, it looks like a race car. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually funny you say that because um, what Airboss is written on there, uh, my son-in-law used to drive a, um, an AMOD, uh, basically an open-wheel dirt track race, and, and that's exact letters that has his name is on is just that same really? font like that. Yep, yep. yep. So it's funny how you hit on that. Yeah. If... Uh, some do you have the like the air boss on your website or um boy we better check that one out with denise it's in our catalog so if anyone got our catalog it's in there it's either on the website or it's in progress of being on the website just because of that product with how it ships um our website designer had to do some I don't know, software changes, mm-hmm. let's say, for that. And I'm not up to speed with yeah. her if that's on yeah. there yet. We're going through all that same stuff with Predator Control Group right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. updating. Yeah. And, yeah, new yeah. pictures and you know, stuff. Yeah. They, uh, but it, where can they find it at? Is it, uh, you know, what's your web, web address? Really? www.toplotstretcher.com. Gmail, I don't really yeah. know. Leon is not technical. <laughs> no. I mean, he, you know, so it isn't that he doesn't know his own business thing. It's that he is not technical. Anything technical you want to know, you have to ask Denise. <laughs> it, exactly. When it comes to technology, I'm still back yeah, in the yeah. 60s and 70s. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not my world. He, he's, he's right where you'd want him to be. <laughs> I'm sure if you do a Google search for you can um, find you'll it. find it. it. They, uh, the other cool thing you guys sell, I've seen on your website, was uh, you know uh, all kinds of the old patches and stuff like that. Yeah, that's um, that's something I got into quite some time ago. Um, so it used to be all the associations would have a, a patch, usually like about a four-inch round patch. The people would sew them on their jackets, you know, or put them on their hats. I always got to be like your badge of honor, you know. I'm part of this member. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyhow, the patches is something that um, I got into collecting, which drives Denise nuts because we come to the conventions. I want to run around and check out the tailgaters and see what the old patch hound can find here. But, um, but yeah, I get into patches quite a bit. And, of course, sometimes when you buy collections off of people, you got to buy the whole collection. And so you get duplicates and doubles and, and things like that. So... Yeah, your state of Michigan, there's a few older ones out there I'm still looking for, too. Yeah, there's, well, like Zone 3. And, yeah, like Zone 3, and, and that's how Michigan has different patches. You mm-hmm. guys have um, evolved through a couple of different uh, associations, yeah. and are, are, they're all combined now other than the, the UP, UP is on their yeah, own. And, yeah, UP, I think they might have always been on their own, but uh, okay. then you had, uh, you had Zone 2. There was a Southern and Trappers. Was a Southern Trappers and a Zone Three. Yeah, you know that that's a all uh, Zone Three and Southern Trappers was Southern Michigan. Okay. Know, so I think there was two, and then they became one. Okay. Um, but like Zone Two is where I lived, and we used to go to the Zone Two trapping convention, and you know they had their own, you know. I don't know. It was kind of nice back then. You know, it's like you guys have the districts. You know, yeah. it was like you know we had our own zone. Okay. You know, I would have liked it now because you know, it'd be like the people that you uh, trap the same type of country and okay. You know. 
so I'm not really too familiar with Michigan. So when it comes to like Minnesota, it's sort of like that. I'm way in the southern part of the state, and it's absolutely nothing like the northern third mm-hmm. of the state. You yeah. know, so when you travel across the state, you go to the northern part of the states, you know, or of of Minnesota. You know, they don't have coon up there. Or it's mm-hmm. very limited. Yeah. You know, you come by us, we're overran with yeah. them. You know, you know. Because you're more closer down to the Iowa border, right? Yep, yeah. yep. We're way in that southwest corner down there. Are you in the Golden Triangle? Um, for coon, yes. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, for a long, long time, I was a very loyal um, seller to NAFA. Mm-hmm. So I got to know people within NAFA. Dave Buick got to be a real good friend of mine there. Um, so... You know, sometimes when, you know, your grading wasn't going right, you saw Buick at a convention, you were ready to chew ass, but he was such a nice guy. You know, it was like, what the hell, you know? Mm-hmm. Tell me what's going on with this grading system. But, but yeah, when I talk with them, you know, and I got many, many top lots on Coon, and it's part of it's I'm blessed where I'm catching them at. Yeah. Uh, for us, the color phase is way more two and three color. Mm-hmm. Of course, you get the four and fives, but... Um, but by and large, we're on that better color. Yeah. And um, talking with him, you know, he says, you're getting that many because you are in that spot right along the Minnesota-South Dakota border, getting down mm-hmm. into Nebraska-Iowa yeah. there. It's good yeah. stuff. I don't know with them how it would grade out. We're uh, well, 30 miles west of Des Moines is where, where we're at over in, in Iowa. And they, uh, I know... I, they're just beautiful coon, you know, compared to, you know, like northern Michigan, we get some pretty coon, but, you know, there's like, you, you if you catch 20 coon, there's going to be like probably six to eight different colors in, in them, you know. I mean, you could have a fisher coon, you could have a, a bright yellow, a blonde, you right. know. So you're kind of talking the change of the two. The in Michigan, you're talking your eastern raccoon versus the Iowa, yeah. the the western with the the longer, silkier yeah. hair. You yeah, know, they're beautiful. Yep, yep. They are. But I always figured like the buyers would tell the people in Iowa, you know, you got really pretty coon, but you know, they're if if they were bigger, then you know I could pay you more. And up there with us, it's like, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, you got really big coon, but if they you had better color, it's whatever, you know. Yep, it, it seems like you're always one step away from the money, <laughs> it's right? What, it's whatever you ain't got is yeah, what they want. Exactly. <laughs> yep, yep. You know, use, use the same game, just, you know, beat everybody to death with it. So, like, for me, where I'm at, it's it's farm zone. It's just basically your road system's a checker, checkerboard system every mile you, you cross another road, so... So for us, you had a lot of roadside trapping, you know, every time you're hitting the water. So like for you in Michigan, is that even closer in the timber area there? Uh, we're, we got some farms, but there's nothing like you guys got. Uh, you know, they're like 80 to 100 acre fields, you know, at the most, a lot of 40 acre fields. Okay. You know, it used to be like small uh, farmers you know like people that had jobs and then farmed and now it's like bigger companies bigger farms are buying up or renting that land okay you know so they might be you know farming 1200 to 2000 acres you know but you know it's like the guy next to us he put in a hay field and it took him like four days to put in this hay field in a you know 80 acre field where the guys in iowa would have pulled in there and you know a couple hours would have been done knocked it out Okay. Maybe not even a couple hours. I mean, <laughs> and, I mean, and up there, you know, they, it's just 
it's just smaller. Okay, smaller you know, type but, farming. But we got, you know, real, you know, and like, you notice, you probably the same way in your area, you know, the farmers plant, I mean, there is not a square inch on that property line. Right. Where, or where that there isn't a, I mean, that, it starts right on the edge with the cornfield. You know, like up by us, I mean, you could drive a truck down the edge of some of them fields oh, really? right now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you brought up a good point. Where I'm at, it, the farming practices have changed, and, and by that I mean like GPS on their systems. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like the fence line isn't there anymore. All you really start to see is like in a mile section, running half, you know, through the midsection of the, of the section there, they just got like six posts mm-hmm. or like fiberglass rods yeah. and, and it's 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 edge to edge so so we've lost you know a fair number of habitat but in one way it helps push them to the water systems but yet again you know there's only so many water systems yeah. too you know that seems to be the thing with the raccoon um down in iowa and i'm certainly not an expert there but it seems like a lot of the farmers are going cutting down a lot of them trees and you know filling all that in and you know you're losing you know a lot of the denning areas and right and like like, like the old abandoned farm places yeah. those are all yeah. getting wiped out yeah um for us there was a phase there a while back um i can't remember how many years back um but anyhow it got to be when um when meth was first of all like really taken off you know when methamphetamine mm-hmm. started taking off well one farmer abandoned farm place somebody went on there and was making meth there and the feds came in and busted it well then all the officials come in there and said you have to tear this house down because you know there was methamphetamine it's mm-hmm. hazardous as well okay i'll burn it down they're like no no you're not that's hazardous waste mm-hmm. that all has to be disposed of properly well the farmer had nothing to do with it and it ended up costing him like ten, fifteen thousand dollars to get rid of this hazardous waste mm. So as soon as the other farmers started hearing about that, guess what? Yeah. The abandoned farm places started to disappear. Yeah. You know, because it used to be, well, it's expensive to have someone come in there to take the grove of trees out, mm-hmm. and, you know, get everything disked up. It used to cost money. Well, the mindset got to be, well, if I'm going to be forced to spend the money, I'm going to do it cheaper and take it all out yeah. on my own times. So. And, and put some crops in there. Exactly. And then farmland's very expensive. You know, you can't fault the farmer on that at all. No. I mean, for what you pay, you need to use yeah. every inch you yeah. have to make a dollar. That's true. So. They're paying in, in Iowa for farm ground. I mean, I, I would do the same thing. I would be right. trying to get every inch. And they, they get every inch, yep. too. Yep. So. But, um, so, uh, in closing... Uh, if somebody wants to go to the school, do you know where you look that up? Or should they just look up LKL? Um, you can call, look up... Call Kendall. Well, the be- <laughs> I'll tell you the best thing to do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there is an LKL site, but um, your best thing is to either go to Top Lot Stretcher Company or go to No BS Lure for Kendall Obermeyer or go to Liesl Resort. Um, if you want to pick up the phone and make a call and talk to someone, your best bet's going to be to call Top Lot. Denise will be happy to answer any of your questions, to, uh, you know, tell you when the dates for the school are, information on it, the cost of the school, and things like that. So, okay. they, uh, If I was going to call, that's who I would call Denise because she, she has most of the answers on everything. Well, to be honest, she's the one that's kind of in charge of signing everybody yeah. up. And when we go to the school, she's actually the 
the person that keeps all of us three knuckleheads in line when we're at the school and keeps us on our time frame. It's surprising that you need that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely need to keep uh, someone to keep us um, on schedule throughout the day, and and she she definitely gets that done. Well, thanks for doing this, Leon. You bet. I appreciate you asking me.